Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. It's episode 18 of the Wax and Wayne podcast. I'm your host, Matt Carlson, and this week we've got a whole boatload of news for you. We've got stuff about new albums coming out, tour dates, some crazy reissue stuff, and a brand new vinyl plant that's coming to the Midwest. Then we're going to take a trip deep inside my scrambled mind. Yep, you get to go just a little bit inside my fucked up head. And what I'm going to do is share with you a story of how an ice fishing weekend that I recently had wound up be a, being a perfect example of why I love listening to music on vinyl. And then we're going to finish things up with yet another installment of a fan favorite and one that I love to do. It's another installment in our Dollar Bin Darling series. Let's get cracking. everybody how are you so as i told you just a few seconds ago and before we heard that little that little musical intro that uh signals the beginning of our program every week um as i told you my name is matt carlson and i'm the guy who hosts this thing um i'm sort of the uh the mad genius more mad than genius quite frankly uh the dude who runs the wax and wayne universe i run the the blog and uh website at waxandwaynemusic.com if you haven't been over there we'd love to have you I'm the guy who does the stuff on the Facebook page, which is uh, just Wax and Wayne Music on Facebook, and I'm the guy who handles at Wax and Wayne Music on Twitter and Instagram. I do all that stuff. We don't have any high-paid social media teams or any interns or, you know, high school kids working in some, uh, uh, you know, outlet mall or uh, office park somewhere out in uh, God knows where. Um, we don't. We don't have any of that stuff. We just have me. Um, I do have some really smart friends who have uh, contributed to this from time to time, and and I'm happy to tell you that I've reached out to a whole bunch of them about <clears throat> contributing some more, and I am excited um, about some of the response that I got. I can't share any of that with you yet, <clears throat> but uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be having some uh, some guest contributors and some more primer stuff and some interviews and some different things coming along the pike so you won't just have to listen to me every single freaking week so as i always say when i get started thank you for being here i want to tell you how much it means to me again um we um we've had a couple of really busy weeks here um on the blog and at the podcast and it appears that uh, this little thing that i have built and that you have become a part of this family of is uh, is starting to grow, and that is encouraging and exciting for me, and I hope it's encouraging for you. So, I I want to you know I want to start by kind of saying thank you. That this is, you know, this has been a journey that I like I t like I've told you many times. I started a couple of years ago and set aside for personal and professional reasons, and now that I'm back, it's really nice to see it sort of gaining some traction. Um, <clears throat> we uh, we have had uh, last week we had our biggest week. 
since the podcast and the blog had had ever existed. And this week, it's um, I'm recording this on Wednesday, and we've already eclipsed last week. So, um, you know, it, it it really doesn't matter what the numbers are; it's that they're going in the right direction. And, and I guess what it, what I'm trying to say is that I appreciate. Anybody out there who has mentioned the show, who has shared the podcast or the blog, who has taken the time to reach out and say, hey, nice job, and there are some of you out there who have done that, that means a lot to me. Um, but, you know, if you if you really care about the show, um, the I've told you this before, the best way you can help us is to tell everybody in your life that you can possibly think of, whether that's on social media, in person, over the phone, text message, you know, whatever the case may be, um, at the record store that you frequent, tell people about the show. If you enjoy it and you get something out of it, share it with people who you think are going to enjoy it. You know, your 13-year-old niece um, who just listens to one song at a time on her phone, this may not be the program for her. If she likes cranky, overweight, middle-aged dudes who obsess over vinyl records, then this might be her her bailiwick, but I'm I'm guessing no. But there are probably a bunch of people in your life, if you're a vinyl lover like I am, and like so many other people who are part of this community, there are probably a lot of people in your life who are going to appreciate it. So please share it with them. That'd mean a lot to me, and it'd help to grow our audience. And the bigger the audience we have, the more likelihood it is that we can continue to grow and do cool stuff. Um, and we'll talk, again, I don't want to spoil any surprises. We've got some cool stuff coming. Um, but the more exposure we have, the more likely it is that we can do more cool stuff because more people want to be involved. The more listeners you have, the more subscribers you have, the more viewers you have, the more readers you have, the more likely it is that people are willing to sit down and do interviews, that they're willing to contribute, that they're willing to, you know, to do a number of things. So um, <clears throat> please stay tuned and, and please keep sharing the show. Again, if you enjoy what we do, Write us a review on iTunes. I don't. I don't mean to run on so long about what you can do to help me. Let's let's jump into a little bit of what we're going to talk about this week. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we put a thing up on the blog, and we did a uh, a piece here on the podcast where we talked about uh, twelve records in 2017 that had us excited. And I made a glaring omission, so I want to just be upfront that I forgot a record. In fact, I was so encouraged and excited about it, I actually pre-ordered it, and um, I didn't mention it, and I don't know how I missed it, so I wanted to take just a second to throw that in. Uh, there is a record coming out on January 27th by the New Zealand pop band The Bats called The Deep Set. Now, for those of you who are familiar with uh, the New Zealand pop stuff that came out of mostly the 80s, bands like... The Chills, The Verlaines, Toy Love, uh, The Bats are certainly a part of that, um, you know, and several other bands that were sort of of that ilk. Um, this is exciting news. Now, lots of bands late into their career put out a record every, you know, few years, and once in a while you you hit on a, a winner. But this is a band in The Bats that have, I think, consistently put out really good work. They're most recent record was in 2011. It's called Free All the Monsters, and I think it's a really solid, really good record. So they've got this coming out on January 27th, and if you're a fan of of what the Bats or what any of those other flying nun bands do, I would highly encourage that you check this out. The other record that I didn't necessarily know we were going to get for certain, although it had been hinted at, is just in the last couple of days... Uh, 
the uh, independent label Dead Oceans have announced that the shoegaze uh, pioneers Slow Dive have signed to that label. And to celebrate that, uh, Slow Dive actually re- uh, uh, released a song this week, a, a, a video single called Star Roving. And this is going to be on a record that's going to come out, it sounds like, sometime in 2017. For those of you who are fans of the English shoegaze movement, uh, if you're fans of Ride and My Buddy Valentine and Chapter House and bands like that, certainly Slow Dive is no, uh, uh, no stranger to you. If you have not heard those bands and you're not familiar with them, you may be familiar with some of the other uh, post-slow dive works some of those bands did. Uh, Mojave 3 would be one of them. It was a completely different thing, but uh, that's a couple of the members from Slow Dive. And then um, Neil Halstead, who's the primary songwriter and uh, male singer in the band, he has had two or three different solo records. And this is actually kind of exciting because this will be the first Slow Dive record since 1995's Pygmalion, and this is a band that I really enjoyed when they were around in the early 90s. I had the privilege of seeing them in uh, 91 or 92 uh, on a tour with Ride, and um, they are—they're uh, a band that I really that I really like. And this is exciting stuff, and it's always a little—you know—we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast in the past. It's always a little bit nerve-wracking when a band go away for 20-some years and then come back to make a record. It's a little bit like the sonic equivalent of Season 4 of Arrested Development. You're excited about it, but you don't really know what you're going to get. Um, you know, uh, the Star Roving single, I've only listened to it once. It's interesting. Uh, you know, it, I'm very curious to see where this goes. I'm sure there are loads of slow dive fans all over the world that are that are pumped up. As we did mention on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, one of the records we're excited about is Ride. So it's kind of funny that we're getting two new records from bands that have not put stuff out in, you know, essentially two decades. And it will be interesting to see how those releases are similar and different to each other and whether or not they can kind of capture that lightning that they had the first time around. That's always an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, but again, those are those are two releases uh, that that we were pretty excited about that that I must confess that I missed the last time around. So I wanted to kind of talk uh, talk those two things up and kind of mention those in addition to all the other news and notes we have coming. And speaking of news and notes, let's get into those. There's your weekly dose of Edward G. Robinson sound effects. I'm going to bring you the news, see? Um, so, on with the news. Uh, singer-songwriter Amy Mann, a personal favorite of mine, has announced her first solo record in five years. The album, which is called Mental Illness, which she wittily referred to as topical on social media, I'm sure referring to the shitstorm that is Donald Trump and the uh, inauguration of the idiot-in-chief uh, this week. Um, is is her this is her uh her way of dealing with this i guess and we all have a little bit of mental illness about well many of us do anyway um i don't want to pretend that your politics are mine and vice versa my apologies anyway this uh, record again her first in 5 years as a solo artist is the follow up to her brilliant 2012 lp charmer uh for those of you who are fans of amy man you will know that she has been busy in that interim not doing nothing um she has had a, a bunch of uh Shows and uh, an album that she did uh, with a band called The Both that is the brainchild of her and Ted Leo from uh, Ted Leo and the Pharmacists. 
And um, if you are an Amy fan and you've missed that record, you should go pick it up. Uh, the album, again, Mental Illness, is up for pre-order right now in various formats and bundles. And um, based on what I saw yesterday on the Amy Mann store, it looks like it's going to come in a uh, gatefold jacket. And the artwork is beautiful. And one of the bundles uh, even includes some psychological uh, therapy cards uh, that kind of tie in with the mental illness theme. Um, there are no details on that, but I'm very curious, almost curious enough to plunk down the money and um, and check that out. To celebrate the announcement of the record, which is released on March 31st, Man has done two different things. Number one... She has announced a whole bunch of tour dates that basically run over the course of about four weeks between the uh, 20th of April and the 13th of May. She will see much of uh, the United States, and um, I believe, yeah, she'll toss in one date at Toronto, um, and, uh, and, and these, you know, she starts out on the East coast and ends in LA. You can go to the wax and page and you can just check the blog and, um, see the full story. You can, um, <clears throat> you, you can, uh, you can really, uh, you know, make sure that she's coming to your town. And if, if she is, and full disclosure, she's coming to Ann Arbor, which is about an hour from me. On the 28th of April, and I already have my tickets. They went on sale yesterday, and I got them because I'm a nerd. I've never had the chance to see her, and I'm terribly excited about it. Uh, as far as the album's title and themes go, Man has been pretty canny and sort of upfront about embracing her reputation for being, uh, well, sad and depressing and sort of writing these, like, brooding, slow compositions. She says, quote, I assume the brief on me is that people think that I write these really depressing songs. I don't know. People may have a different viewpoint, but that's my own interpretation of the cliche about me. So if they thought that my songs were very down-tempo, very depressing, very sad, and very acoustic, I thought I would just give myself permission to write the saddest, slowest, most acoustic, if they're all waltzes, so be it record. I mean, calling it mental illness makes me laugh because it's true, but it's so blunt that it's funny, end quote. And... To prove that, she has also shared a brand new song called Goose Snow Cone. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of that for you right now so you can kind of get a taste. But, you know, again, before we jump on to the next thing, make sure that you jump over to the waxandwaynemusic.com page or to amyman.com and uh, check out those tour dates if you are a fan and at all interested. And, of course... Be sure to pre-order that record from her site if you can so that you can help support the artist directly. Looking into the face of the goose snow Should be shaking it loose, but you do it all Every look is a truce and it's written in stone Gotta keep it together when your friends come back Checking the weather, but they wanna know why. Even birds of a feather find it hard to fly. 
That is a little snippet of Goose Snow Cone by Amy Mann. That is uh, the first song she has shared off of her soon-to-be-released solo record called Mental Illness. Again, it is out on March 31. Keep your eyes open for that. I'm certainly excited about it. Our next bit of news is that uh, the venerable uh, independent label 4AD Records, um, this is a, for those of you not in the know, this is a British record uh, label that is responsible for acts like the Pixies, the Cocteau Twins, uh, some of the Bauhaus stuff, I believe, um, <clears throat> uh, this Mortal Coil, and this particular band that I'm going to mention, Dead Can Dance, amongst many others. One of my favorites being uh, the Pale Saints. Uh, but Dead Can Dance, who are sort of this enigmatic um, uh, Irish act, uh, have, uh, over the course of the last year, 4AD has re-released on vinyl much of their vinyl catalog, and they have three titles left to go. And 4AD just announced in the past week that on March 17th, they will reissue vinyl versions of The Serpent's Egg from 1988, Ion from 1990, and Dreamcatcher from 1996, all on uh, vinyl. <clears throat> and uh, they look like beautiful, beautiful pressings, as always. The artwork from 4AD is gorgeous. You can go get those now individually on the 480 store, or you can buy them as a bundle of uh, all three LPs and save yourself some some shekels that way. But uh, if you are a fan, and I most certainly am of the band, and in fact, Ion is probably my favorite Dead Can Dance record, although I really like the Serpent's Egg, too. Um, If you're into any of that stuff, and I know lots of you are, uh, and you've been waiting for it because those those, uh, original pressings are kind of expensive on Discogs. They're not hugely expensive, but, you know, 40 or 50 bucks for a copy of Ion the last time I looked. Perhaps it's come down a little bit, but um, you probably can go out and get a new one for 18 or $20, and you can save some money if you buy all three. Uh, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, again, I'm going to hit this again, the 12 records that we're most excited about in 2017, and one of those bands was Spoon. And Spoon have uh, announced that their new LP will be called Hot Thoughts, and it will also reach stores on March 17th. The record will come on Matador Records. This is the third different stint that Spoon have had on New York's Matador label. And um, one of the things they're doing that's kind of interesting is, you know, once we get to the point where a band announces a release date and they put some cover art up on Instagram or Twitter uh, or Facebook and maybe they, you know, release a single or they have a pre-order thing, um, people are are usually getting pretty clever about how they how they do pre-orders. So there's usually some colored vinyl. There's usually special editions like we talked about with the Amy Mann thing. You know, sometimes there there are fun things, you know, like that set of cards or maybe a a special t-shirt or a poster or something you can get where the only way you can get it is to pre-order it. Or maybe you get some bonus content digitally. But Spoon have done something kind of interesting in conjunction with Matador in this particular uh, thing that I think might be really intriguing to vinyl listeners. And uh, what they've done is they've put together a special purple vinyl edition. Now, there is nothing particularly unique about that, especially in this day and age where Almost everything is available, at least in limited quantity, on some sort of colored vinyl in a pre-order format. That's a really common way to go. And I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that in and of itself is not special. However, the added wrinkle here is that two of these copies, so when you order the special purple vinyl edition, there will be two people chosen at random 
one in the United States, and one in the UK. And each one of those winners will receive a special green vinyl edition. There will be two of these in all the world. So there will be one of them that comes out of the New York store, and one of them that comes out of the UK store in pre-orders. And these are pre-orders only on the Spoon web store and on Matador's website. And in addition to getting just one of two of these special records of which, again, there will only be a pair of them, so this will be the sort of thing that becomes, you know, collector fodder. I'm sure that that's their intention, is to create a lot of demand in the hopes that, you know, you'll be the one who gets this. But you will get two tickets, along with your green edition, to see any Spoon show anywhere in the world, including many of the festival dates they have going on. They'll give you passes for that day's festival uh, that they're playing. And I think this is a really interesting way to go. Um, I think it creates, again, I'm, I'm always up for pre-ordering something if it's a band that I like. Um, you know, I wouldn't pre-order something based on the fact that somebody tells me I should like it or I hear one song. That that generally is not how people buy. But if Spoon is a band or if any band that you like uh, puts out a record and you have been pretty happy with their past work and you want to support that artist, buy it directly from the label or buy it directly from the band's store, especially if there's fun stuff like this going in. Now, I will say that the the press release for Hot Thoughts has set the bar pretty pretty high as far as anticipation goes. They, they've referred to the record as, quote, pop as high art. And it, it goes on to call Hot Thoughts the bravest and mo- most sonically inventive work of Spoon's career. Now, I don't, they, and they go on to, to, to make sure that they're not knocking the band's previous work, of course. Uh, and, and, and as I mentioned previously, Spoon have reunited with um, Matador, but they've also brought Dave Fridman on of Mercury Rev and who has produced a bunch of work for the Flaming Lips. And the, the first song, which is actually the title track, it's called Hot Thoughts. And there's a video for that that you can watch over at waxandwaynemusic.com that I'd encourage you to go check out. And I, I do think it's a little bit different. It still sounds like Spoon to me, but it's an interesting um, it's an interesting step, I would say. And I'm I'm encouraged and and excited. I will say that the the most recent record, whose name is escaping me right now, really kind of left me sort of humdrum about it. It doesn't mean that I don't that I don't love some of Spoon's earlier work. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't go whole hog in yet. I may pre-order this and get the purple vinyl edition, not so much to have my shot at the brass ring or the green record in this case, but, you know, simply to support a band that I like who I think have done a lot of really good work and based on the merit of this one song. Uh, moving on, another one of my personal favorites, uh, the new pornographers have uh, have announced a little bit of news, and this sort of slid underneath the radar. It, it went by a day or two before I actually picked up on it. And what they've done is is two things. Number one, they've announced 15 live shows that are going to run between the middle of April and the beginning of May. And they're hitting mostly major markets um, in along the East Coast, the Midwest, and a little bit through the South. And uh, the, the tour actually starts in the middle of April at the world-famous First Avenue Club in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and things wind up at Stubbs uh, Waller Creek Amphitheater in Austin, Texas on May 6th. And in and of itself, a string of 15 tour dates for a band like the New Pornographers would be nice news simply because the, the New Pornographers are a good band and they put on a great live show. 
But what's particularly interesting here is the press release for the tour has stipulated that the band will be performing songs from their forthcoming seventh full-length record, which means that we're going to probably get, in 2017, a a new new Pornographer's record, which is exciting stuff. So please keep that in mind and, and keep a look for that out on the horizon. Of course, as we get more details, we will keep you in the loop. Uh, moving on, uh, the Dark Horse, George Harrison, on February 25th of this year, would have turned 74 years old. And instead of just letting that date slip by and doing nothing, the Universal Music Group is releasing a massive vinyl box set on the day before his birthday, on February 24th, that it sort of, well, frankly, it just encapsulates the entire collection of Harrison's solo work. So the box is going to feature 180-gram represses of the 12 solo full-length records, as well as a 180-gram repress of the double album Live in Japan, which, big surprise, was recorded live and in Japan. In addition to that in the box, they're going to include two picture disc singles from the Cloud 9 LP. And those are going to be for uh, Got My Mind Set On You, which anybody who watched videos in the 80s or even into the early 90s saw on repeat virtually on MTV. And the other single from that record is When We Was Fab, which is a obviously a, a, d- a direct reflection of his memories with um, his bandmates in a tiny little outfit you may have heard of called The Beatles. So those two singles are going to be uh, included in the box done as picture discs. And the best part of this is that it sounds like UMG have kind of gone uh, to full lengths here because they've gone out of their way to mention that the represses in the set have all been remastered and pressed using the original master analog tapes. Now, I don't know what the state of like the uh, CD versions of this specifically, you know, second, third and fourth generation CDs, um, the, you know, many of these records were made in the CD era. So, you know, a record like Cloud Nine would have come out when CDs were, um, you know, a, a ubiquitous format. Um, and the beauty of this box is that it's going to include everything and it's done very, very painstakingly well, apparently. And based on the photos and the information that's available online, it looks pretty gorgeous and it looks like the perfect kind of thing for anybody who really appreciates Solo George. But that doesn't mean that it won't come with a bit of sticker shock. This thing is going to run $450 and up. When I looked on Amazon, it was 466 bucks the other day. Now, if that seems a bit much for your buying budget, the nice thing here is that the Live in Japan discs and the live studio records are all going to be available as individual releases. But, you know, if you've got tons of money to burn and, you know, maybe you're one of Donald Trump's pals. Oh, I'm doing it again. I'm so sorry. Um, but maybe you've got a lot of money. Maybe you won the lottery. Uh, maybe you just have money to burn. Whatever the case. If the going rate for that set at 465 or whatever it is seems like chump change, keep your eyes open because there's also word on the street that uh, Project Audio are going to be issuing a special edition George Harrison turntable. At present, there was not any info that I could find, but keep your eyes open and we'll, of course, keep you tuned into that. Our final bit of news this week is that uh, Jack White's Third Man Records, uh, a gentleman and a label that we have discussed more than once on this podcast and on this blog about who I have very mixed feelings Um they're opening a brand new vinyl pressing facility in downtown Detroit in what is in a neighborhood that is called the Cass Corridor. And, um, you know, not too long ago, 
uh, I want to say 18 months or so, um, Third Man opened a retail shop in the Cass Corridor neighborhood that, that sells just Third Man releases and merchandise. So it's not a record shop per se in that it does not cater to just music buyers in general. It caters very specifically to people who want to experience this very curated thing from you know somebody who has cachet and celebrity and i'm not shitting on jack white right now although i have been known to do that from time to time again i have very mixed thoughts about the way that he runs his business i love the fact that he he tends to have some some pride about detroit and i love the fact that he's bringing some things back i'm a little turned off about having a retail shop that is specifically geared toward your own label when um well, I, I don't want to editorialize too much. Suffice it to say, a new um, a new video has come, uh, new shit has come to light, man. Um, they put out a minute-long video that's basically a teaser about this new facility that's going to, it sounds like, based on the video that I saw, and that you can watch on our website at waxandwaynemusic.com, it sounds like um, this, this is going to be part of the same facility based on the way that they... Uh, based on the way they phrase it. And for vinyl fans, this is exciting news. Any audiophile worth his salt anywhere is well aware, it's very well publicized, that pressing plants are in short supply right now. There just isn't a lot of uh, equipment that's available. Much of the equipment is kind of running on duct tape and spit and polish, and it's being you know kept in running order very much the same way as a 1955 Cadillac in Cuba, because there's no other choice but to keep it in running order. And there aren't really... You know, there aren't really new presses that are available. Well, you know, for the most part, again, there are exceptions to the rule, but it's very, very difficult to open a new pressing plant. But Jack White was able to do this, and he he has a lot of expertise with this, and, uh, you know, it, this is a label that's done a really good job. They have their heart in the right place, and they they do good shit, plain and simple. They, they just do. Um, and and lots of lots of pressing plants around the country are literally running twenty four hours a day, five or six days a week, so that they can meet demand. Um, United Record Pressing in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, which just moved into a larger facility. Up until they moved into that facility, based on some contact I had with them, they were not accepting new clients for an extended period of time. What that means is, if you were a band or a label who had worked with URP in the past, they would press your record. If you'd never worked with them before, they couldn't take your business. They, they were like a doctor's office. They couldn't take on new patients. And so this is exciting news in that respect. But there is a little tinge of disappointment to this video because there are two things in it that just seemed heavy-handed and, quite frankly, kind of douchey. The first is they refer to Third Man Records, and again, they're talking about themselves as, quote, the label that made vinyl important again. I think anybody who's a record listener, even if you love Jack White and you love what that label has done, has to be disappointed in the fact that they think that they are the ones who did that. I understand that this is marketing and it's business 101. I just think that it's a hollow promise, and I think, quite frankly, it's taking credit for something you didn't do. They also have promised that they'll be the most incredible vinyl pressing plant in the world. That's a little more nebulous a claim because I don't know. I've, I've been literally to one pressing plant in my life. Now, hopefully I'll have the opportunity to go to Third Man, and I'd love to talk to Ben or Jack or anybody else at Third Man about this process of putting the new plant together, about what it's like, why they thought it was necessary, and why they picked Detroit. 
So this is exciting news. I just think they got a little heavy-handed with the way that they sort of lived, you know, lifted themselves up to talk about the label that made vinyl important again. And so I, I think it's important to contextualize. I may be editorializing a little too much in the news section. I apologize. But again, this is my podcast. <laughs> so let's hope that this lives up to its billing. And let's hope that um, that they truly are the greatest pressing plant in the world. I don't think they're the label that made vinyl important again, and I don't think they're going to make it importanter, to use a kindergarten phrase. Uh, let's take a quick little break. We'll come back in just a minute with uh, a little segment about ice fishing records and personal reflection. Be back in just a minute. Welcome back. Once again, I'm your host, Matt Carlson. I've told you that three times already. You're probably sick of me telling you. That uh, that little snippet there was uh, made up in blue by the Bats, who I mentioned have a record coming out in the next few weeks called The Deep Set. Just wanted to give you a little reference there of what we were listening to in the break. Um, I, I want to spend a few minutes now kind of talking about a little bit of personal reflection. And um, I hope you'll forgive me. I don't want to get to inside my own head because I spend way too much time there. But I had the privilege of this past weekend um, in mid-January, uh, the Martin Luther King weekend, if you're living here in the United States, I had the privilege of going on uh, an annual fishing trip and a sort of winter retreat that I embark upon with a group of dear friends. And this year, there were six of us, and we packed our groceries, our beer, booze, fishing gear, and sleeping bags into a humble little cabin on the banks of a private lake in central Michigan. We also brought a turntable, amplifier, speakers, and we each brought a crate or a box of records. So for the better part of five days, we eschewed the other luxuries of the standard American middle-class way of life. This particular cabin that we hide out in every winter has no furnace. Instead, there's a wood stove, which requires almost constant attention and often either makes the interior... Uh, like the frozen tundra of Green Bay or Hellfire Hot. So we did a pretty good job this year, but often there's these extremes where it's really, really cold when you get there and it takes a while to heat it up. And then once you heat it up, it's too hot and you got to open windows and then it reverses itself. And it's this constantly swinging pendulum and there isn't a lot of time, or excuse me, there, is, there isn't a lot of temperature in the middle. It's one end of the spectrum of the other. And there is a sink, and there is running water, and there's even a small water heater we have access to. But there isn't a bathroom inside, nor is there a shower. So a gaggle of dudes go days on end without bathing. We're greasy. We continue to wash up um, in, in sinks, and we, you know, um, one, you know, one. I joked with one of my friends that I was going to give myself a whore's bath. 
And, you know, we deal with the lingering community odor that lasts for several days. And I know this sounds particularly gross. Um, I, I don't mean to. I'm just kind of trying to give you a, a frame of reference for the things that we sort of give up. And, 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 and frankly, I look forward to giving those things up. I look forward to sort of just kind of shutting myself into this place for a few days with people that I love and really enjoy spending time with and giving up some of those modern conveniences. There is no internet. Uh, there's no shower. There's no bathroom. Uh, my teenage daughters can't stand living like that, and so they don't go. And that's okay because I'm thrilled to be there for four or five days with people that I care about. And so once we're kind of, you know, ensconced in and we're, you know, we're all hunkered down with a crackling fire and a full fridge and our workable stereo setup. I, I really work hard at not leaving the premises until I have to head back to the quote unquote real world after a few days. I do my damnedest to either be in the cabin listening to records, enjoying the great outdoors, or sitting on the ice not catching fish. And for those of you around the country and around the world who are not familiar with this concept of ice fishing, I assure you that for some crazy people here in the upper Midwest and all throughout Canada and much of Scandinavia, it's a real thing. Uh, it's fun. Uh, you get to drink outdoors. And um, if you're like us, you get to go to a cabin and listen to records really, really loudly when you're not fishing. So one of the things I was thinking about while I was sitting on the ice and while I was driving up there and while we were sitting around, especially the first day, because on the first day it was just two of us, I started to think to myself, why do I go, why do we go to all the trouble of bringing up a full turntable setup and really heavy records when we could just as easily bring laptops or iPads or iPods and have access to a much larger number of records to listen to and a great deal more convenience? You know, we don't take the greatest stereo setup. It's not like we're putting together some, you know, ridiculously nice, uh, super fancy, you know, it's basically, we call it the travel turntable. It's a Philips 7.7. It's got a nice entry-level cartridge on it. We run it through a used uh, entry-level uh, receiver and, and stereo amp. Uh, it goes through a couple of, you know, standard, nothing special bookshelf speakers. This is a really rudimentary setup. This would be a perfectly fine entry-level setup for every college freshman in their dorm room across North America. So it's not like we're going up there and we're getting audiophile quality out of it. We're not, you know, we're not using some $600 cartridge and a, you know, cork mat and a weight and running it through a $2,000 tube preamp and all sorts of fancy shit. We're not doing that. We're not, we're not doing that. So it's not like we're doing it for the audio file purposes of it. We're not doing it because it significantly sounds... I mean, maybe it sounds better than MP3s, but we could bring CDs. Um, and, and in the environment, you know, I, I just don't know that... I don't know... I guess what I'm trying to say in a really roundabout way is we're not doing it because it sounds better. We're just simply not doing it that way. So there's, there's a lot of inconvenience in doing it that way. In fact, in, this year was better because we haven't had a lot of snow where I live. But in years past, it's been so bad where it's only plowed back to about 100 yards from where the cabin is. And so everything that you bring, and we have to bring everything. We've got to bring clothes, groceries, fishing gear, records. Sometimes we'll bring some guitars to you know play songs when we're, not, when we're not listening to records. And you've got to put all that stuff on sleds and pull it behind you, or you've got to carry it. So you've got to carry beer, you've got to carry records, you've got to carry speakers and a turntable and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. It would be a lot easier. There is a, um, 
there's like a little boombox thing up there. We could easily just plug in an iPod and listen to music and it would be loud enough and we'd all get to sing along with, you know, R.E.M. or uh, The Smiths or Led Zeppelin or whatever it was that we brought with us. People would be able to, you know, shake their heads, I'm doing it right now, pump their fists and sing along and, and, and get jazzed up. But we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. So I started to really kind of think in a deep and meaningful way about why. Why would we do that? Why would we go to that trouble? And immediately the first thought I thought of was, well, because we can. Because we have access to a travel turntable and we have speakers. And literally, my group of friends, we kind of, we, we've kind of piecemealed this together from two or three different people. And we keep it this way because the same group of people goes up year after year after year. And we even occasionally go to a couple of other spots where we might need to take a travel turntable. And so we literally have an extra set of this stuff so that if we want to go somewhere for a long weekend or for a week, we have access to this and we can take our records with us. And I, I, I guess I'm not even thinking so much like, does that make me weird? Because I don't know that it does. What I want to know is, is I think about it deeper and wonder, what makes the vinyl nerds that I truck with go to these sorts of listening lengths in an environment where they're perfectly happy to forego showering and endure bathroom reading in single degree temperatures while sitting on a frigid outhouse commode? So this is a bunch of people who have said, I, I don't care if it's either, you know, 40 degrees in there or 110, we'll, we'll make the temperature work. I don't care if I have to go outside to poop. I don't care if I have to walk 100 yards in the middle of the night when I have to pee. I don't care that um, there's no dishwasher. I don't care that there's no internet. But for any of these people, it is just expected and understandable that there will be a turntable set up at the cabin. And that is part of going on the ice fishing weekend, and it's part of when we go the other two or three times a year that this group of people gets together in this place. I've mentioned before on this podcast that vinyl, for me, is a sort of meditative act. One of the things that I struggle with is I don't know how to relax. I'm not very good at that. Maybe there are some of you out there like that as well. I, I simply am not a person who can sit still for very long without it being some sort of a commitment. That's not to say that I'm incapable of doing it, but it requires more willpower than I think that it does for normal people or for most people. I've never been diagnosed as ADD or ADHD or on the spectrum or whatever you want to call it, but I'm an anxious guy. I'm a fidgety guy. I, I struggle with anxiety and depression. I've mentioned that before. And one of the things I have a hard time doing is I have a hard time letting go. I always feel like even if I am relaxing, there's something I should be doing. And yet there's something magical and special about the act of putting a record on and, and sort of ceding control of that record to a single side. Now, the reality is that that process, even if I just give myself over to it in that environment, whether I'm by myself or with a group of people... Each choice, when you put something on the platter, marks a firm commitment of, say, 15 or 20 minutes. And while that may seem like nothing, it can, it can be a firm departure away from the, the way that many of us listen when using more convenient devices. So 
I full disclosure, I drive a lot for work. I spend a ton of time in the car. You know, there are typical days where I might spend, you know, three, four, five, six hours in the car. That's not unusual for me. Uh, it doesn't happen every day. It's not always that amount. You know, some days it's an hour, some days it's six, some days it's none. But, you know, I routinely, several times a week, spend a lot of time in the car. I'm a guy who spends, I drive about 40,000 miles a year. I know you didn't want to hear about my driving habits, but I think that they're germane to this discussion. I'm not very good about listening to a whole record on my iPod. I got like 30,000 songs on my iPod. I rarely make it through even what would constitute a side because I get fidgety and bored and I'm always looking for the next thing. I always want to know, can I get to the next song? I, I don't like this song that much. Can I skip it? And so I kind of have this sort of fidgety, bouncy mentality. I have this, this, uh, this, this bad habit of jumping the gun and not just letting the thing unfold in front of me. I would never do that with a record. Now, a record side has no skip function. I'd have to get up and move the needle over, and that would be bad to show in this particular company, and I wouldn't even do it in the privacy of my own home because I feel like there's a physical act involved as opposed to just simply pushing a button. So even the desire to stop a record or make a side change requires some sort of small physical act of getting up, going to the stereo, and doing a thing as opposed to just sitting there and pushing a button without even thinking about it. Now, on our cabin trips, we engage in a system called flip it or skip it. In fact, I, I employ this possible, this possible, this policy anytime I'm with a group of people playing records. And the idea is, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I'll, I'll go through it with you anyway. The idea is, each person in the cabin plays a side of their choosing. And in fact, we have a little chalkboard that's on the wall that sits above one of the chairs in the main room of the cabin. And we'll put a list there, and it's a first-come, first-served thing. So my buddy Todd and I showed up on Thursday afternoon, and he and I were the first two on the list. And then as other people showed up over the weekend, we added them to the list. And so it's Todd, then it's Matt, and then it's Jeff, and then it's so on and so on and so on. And we go down the list, and then when you get to the end of the list, the list, big surprise, repeats. And the idea is that this gives everybody an opportunity to play one side of a record. And if you think about it, if there are, say, six people there, and it takes, you know, 15-ish minutes a record, you're going to get to play a side, you know, every hour and 30 minutes, roughly speaking. Now, if you're hanging out all night playing cards and drinking and joking around with each other and talking and sharing memories, an hour and a half goes by like that. So in an evening or, a you know, an afternoon into an evening and then into a late night, you get to play a bunch of records. And if there aren't six people there, then your turn comes a lot faster. But no one, no one would would go in and take a record off and end somebody else's turn. There is this sort of understood code that exists between us. Um, and the idea is that you can play your own side or you can flip the other person's record. So they played side one, you can turn over and play side two. And each person in our cadre brings a carrying case of LPs. Now, in my case, I have a little platter pack thing, and it holds, generally speaking, when I go on a trip like this, 40 or 45 records. So I, I think I probably brought 44 or 45 records. I packed it pretty tight. And because we usually do actually spend some time on the ice and we prioritize a chunk of our time to watch terrible movies, I always have, everybody does, has records that, that wind up going back home that never see the turntable. One of the things I found really interesting when I got back, and I, I guess I had noticed this before, but I took special note of it this time, 
was that when I get back from these trips, the vast majority of the first few spins that I make on my turntable when I get home are from that group of LPs that I took up north that I didn't get a chance to play at the lake. Now, I would not necessarily go and pick those records out when I got home if I hadn't seen them all weekend long. It's sort of having this smaller group of songs and, excuse me, smaller group of records in front of me worked as a way to kind of motivate me to go, okay, well, first of all, I have to, I have to kind of whittle my choices down because I'm taking 40 or 45 records. So I go through over the days leading up to leaving and I figure out what do I want to play for, you know, different times of night. Uh, different moments, you know, so you want loud stuff, you want, like, you need Saturday morning records, but you also need Saturday night records. Um, I always like to kind of mix it up in terms of era and genre and styles and that kind of thing. Um, this particular time, I took a bunch of stuff uh, that was a lot of, like, uh, late 80s and early 90s, like, college rock stuff. Most of it came from Britain that was kind of, like, second tier. So bands like uh, the High, Trash Can Sinatras, The Beautiful South, um, uh, a band called Bradford, stuff like that. And then I took some more kind of straight up stuff and some things that are a little more obvious or things that I, you know, but I didn't want to just take the same stuff that I always sort of take. Like I always take an R.E.M. record and usually take a Smith's record. I did take one of those this time. Um, but, the you know, the idea is to kind of, you know, you, you want to take some stuff that pe- you know people are going to enjoy, but then you also want to bring some stuff that you haven't heard in a while and surprise other people. So in this ordered piece, in this plan, uh, my anxious mind finds a certain amount of calm. There is an accepted flow that dictates whose turn it is, and certainly while the length of an LP side can vary, the consistency of that pace is calming and I thrive on it. And yes, my friends do bring records that I don't like or really don't want to listen to. And sometimes they bring records that I love and there is this magical moment where somebody takes a turn and you're sitting at a table playing cards and it's 10 o'clock at night and there is that moment of, oh shit, this is exactly what I want to hear right now. And so it can swing from one side of the pendulum to the other. So on the one hand, they might bring a record that I don't really like and we don't need to get into those bands. Um... You know, a couple of them you can find on on our 10 most overrated bands list. In fact, we had a discussion about one of those bands this weekend. And and we can have an argument. We can we can bust each other's balls. We can have a genuine disagreement. We can have a real discussion about why something is awesome or why something sucks or why somebody sees something wrong. And at least once a time on every trip. Each one of us will play a record just to get somebody else's go and because we don't want to hear it. So we all suffer these slings and arrows of cultural dickery that we suffer at the hands of our fellow traveling companions and beloved friends. But most often, these sorts of moments lead to really engaging talks about why we love what we love, which is a huge tenant of this podcast and my life in record collecting and in wanting to play music and be in bands and make music an almost constant part of my life. It is like probably like yours, like your life. It it is probably the single biggest thing that shapes what I think about and how I feel and how I am brought to a certain place and a certain time and a certain version of myself and a certain emotion that almost escapes explanation 
music has that power above and beyond any other cultural entity. And then that that cultural power is then extended and empowered by being on vinyl and being from a very select box of the 40 or 45 records I chose to put in a carrying case out of the 2,600 in my house and bring them to a place in the middle of nowhere to share with my friends. And so we wind up having conversations about shared memories of where we were in our lives when a particular record was released or when we saw a particular band play on a particular tour. And sure, these summit-like dialogues often occur with copious amounts of cocktails and at supreme volumes, but like almost everyone else in the world, we just love to get together, drink a beer or have an old-fashioned, listen to some music, share some collective memories, and sing along at the top of our fucking lungs. But that still doesn't explain to the vinyl neophyte why we would lug heavy stereo equipment all the way around, why we would, in some cases, put it on a sled, bring, you know, dozens of pounds of records, and, and play them when we could just do this the easy way. And this is what I keep thinking about. And again, that reason, that thought, that motivation is why I started this website and podcast. And I won't speak for the fellow souls that I travel with who have shared this, space, this sacred space with me. But I will say that for me, it's a sensation of calm in the midst of chaos. These weekends are designed, as I said, to take us out of the real world for just a few days. We leave work behind. We leave familial obligations behind. We leave uh, housework and chores and bills and distractions and all of that bullshit just gets swept up in this indulgence of food and drink and relaxation and records and companionship. And I know that sounds hokey, but it's totally true. This is one of my favorite weekends of the entire year. And in my world of constant distractions, it is an enormous blessing to focus on one side of a record at a time, even if it's not a record that I love. And to take the time to truly digest it. Sure, I do that at home, but I do it in a different way. I do it with less reverence. I do it with less camaraderie. And so to go to a very special place with very special people and to share this common musical geography and compromise by taking turns and how we listen to our lives as we have lived them up to this point in musical form. We are literally sharing our lives with each other. And I know you can do that with an MP3 or a CD or a cassette. If you had internet or data streaming, you could do that with Spotify probably. But for me, these, these weekends are just an absolute wonderful blessing. They are an opportunity for me to make a sacrifice, to share my music with other people so that they can share theirs with me. And to do it in the form of vinyl is the perfect delivery method for this endeavor. And these weekends, like I said, are are some of my favorite times of the year. And I believe that everybody deserves and requires some sort of form of this outlet. And for me, that outlet is in the middle of nowhere, next to a lake, with people that I love, with a beer in my hand, and a record on the turntable.
We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back. As was promised at the beginning of our episode today, we have another installment in our regular series, The Dollar Bin Darlings. The Dollar Bin Darlings is a regular column, and uh, we like to turn that column into a piece here on the podcast where we profile a record you can likely pick up in your local store's bargain bin or maybe even at a nearby thrift shop. In any case, uh, virtually all of these can be had for at the absolute maximum three or four dollars even on a site like discogs and usually for less so these are typically records you can buy in a bargain bin for a buck or two Um, and this time around we're going to take an in-depth look at joe jackson's 1979 debut lp look sharp now surely during the break if you are of a certain age you recognized that song as Is She Really Going Out With Him, which we're going to talk a fair amount about sort of as, as it's sort of the linchpin of the beginning of Jackson's solo career and really kind of his signature hit. So in some ways, it's hard to believe that Look Sharp was the debut for Joe Jackson. After all, that song, the signature hit, Is She Really Going Out With Him, which was the singer-songwriter's very first solo release, seems not only like the smash hit that it was and is, but also sounds like the work of a performer at the very top of his craft. It has the sonic confidence of a veteran artist who is at the very top of his game. Now, Joe Jackson had performed in bands, um, Edward the Bear, and then in a band called Arms and Legs throughout the early and mid-70s. But in both those cases, both those bands dissolved fairly quickly after there was not much action on the singles that were released with those with those acts. So undaunted, um, he, Joe Jackson, began to tour the English cabaret circuit in the hopes of raising enough money to record a series of demo recordings that he could then pass around to a variety of labels. That work, those recordings, the money he saved in the subsequent demo tape then caught the ear of a producer at uh, A&M Records and they were signed while Jackson was signed and he in fairly short order ran off to form a band and write some songs. So, you know, flash forward a few weeks or a few months and Jackson and his new band get together and they run through the songs that would form the, uh, that would form the, uh, 
full length uh, Look Sharp, which would be his debut record. And, and most of those sessions took place in the fall of 1978, with some additional stuff being recorded in the spring of 1979. And the result was this mashup of new wave and punk and there was a slightly jazzy or funky element to it. Um, it's interesting because I hear, you know, it, it invoked comparisons of like Graham Parker and Elvis Costello and even Nick Lowe to a certain extent. And yet I see Joe Jackson as kind of this sort of um, English, you know, slight like sort of harder edged uh, blue eyed soul kind of a thing. I mean, it's not in the vein of like Van Morrison or even like, you know, like we would have Hall & Oates in this country, but there is that kind of jazz-influenced, you know, slight R&B tinge to a lot of his stuff that really comes out in the records that that follow uh, Look Sharp and I'm the Man. And I've always felt like there's kind of a kinship between the sound of those early Joe Jackson records and what bands like the Style Council and even the Beautiful South would do in the mid to late 80s and into the early 90s. So... um, you know, in the fall of 78, while they're in the initial recording sessions, A&M goes ahead and they release the single for Is She Really Going Out With Him to kind of try to push up uh, the, the Joe Jackson profile and to kind of build some momentum before the record comes out later on in uh, early 1979. And then shortly after that, they, um, in, in you know, February of 79, a, a month or so before the Look Sharp record comes out. They released the single for Sunday Papers, another track off the record. And then even after uh, Look Sharp comes out in May, they release another single for One More Time. And the response for all three of those singles, as well as the uh, the, the full-length record, was pretty minimal. And there really wasn't a lot of action and traction. And then things started to slowly kind of take shape and really kind of catch hold. And all of a sudden, um, there was some airplay, there was some attention, and thankfully, Look Sharp, on the power of those three singles and terrific album tracks like uh, Baby Stick Around, uh, the title track, uh, Look Sharp, and Pretty Girls, uh, and and quite frankly, this is... I I, I always hesitate to use the word perfect record because those don't really exist. But this this is a complete record. And because of that, it managed to sort of persevere its initial kind of, it wasn't a flop, but its initial kind of sluggish start, especially for a debut performer. And it managed to persevere and make the top 20 in the U.S. despite only getting to number 40 on the U.K. album charts. And it was so successful both in the U.K. and in the U.S. that Issue Really Going Out With Him was actually reissued as a single and became a, a sort of a bona fide worldwide hit on its second effort, and and to this day, it probably remains the most famous song that Joe Jackson has ever recorded. And buoyed by the reissue of that single, and the power of all of the songs on the debut LP on Look Sharp, Jackson and his band headed back to the studio in very short order toward the end of the summer of 1979 to record an entirely new batch of songs that would become the LP I'm the Man which then hit streets in October of 79. And that duo of LPs, Look Sharp, which is released in March, and I'm the Man, which comes out in October. So basically, they are seven months apart. Not only make to an impressive start for Jackson's career, but make for one hell of a seven-month period or a single year for virtually any artist. 
I don't think there are a lot of people who are fans of that era of music and who are fans of Jackson's in particular who would argue that his first two records might be his best two records. I certainly feel that way. And because Look Sharp had a huge hit, like, is she really going out with him? And there were a couple of other subsequent singles that had a little bit of traction. And because it was a very successful record, and then immediately I'm the Man comes out, and people are going out and buying one or both of those records, because Look Sharp sold in pretty heavy amounts, and it appealed to both new wave punk fans, as well as some folks who were kind of into a top 40 sort of like light R&B thing, they just made a bazillion of these, and they remain plentifully available. So, so when you have a record that that um, is really, really good, and there are just a shit ton of them, this is when you wind up with a dollar bin, darling. We've talked about this before, and so you are very, very likely right now to go into almost any record shop. Now, granted, I don't shop in Europe because I don't live there, and I shop in a pretty specific part of the Midwest. But I've I've been I've been to a more than healthy number of record stores throughout the Midwest, and this is something that I almost always see. I've been to the East Coast. Um, I've been out West. I, I have seen this record in almost every record store I've ever ventured to. Um, in fact, I was in Toronto a couple of summers ago. I happened to see three of these in one dollar bin. I happened to see three copies of, of Look Sharp. And there was also a copy of I'm the Man. Now I have a ton of these copies and I didn't need to bring them I didn't need to bring them back. I have bought these records on more than one occasion for friends. If you already have this record, go out and spend a couple bucks on it when you see it in a bargain bin and to give it to somebody who you think might enjoy it. What's the worst thing that can happen? You did something nice and you spent two or three bucks. But because of this availability, copies of this record are available in very playable condition. Almost everywhere. And it's worth far more than a buck or two. And I'm the man is often, as I mentioned, a steal in the same price range. And maybe this particular dollar bin, darling, Joe Jackson's 1979 debut, Look Sharp, could even lead you to double dip. And so that is this week's installment of the dollar bin, darlings. And we're going to go out on another Joe Jackson song. We're going to go out with, uh, let's go out with one more time. I think that song's a jam. And um, and I think that uh, I think it's kind of an underappreciated single from that record, and um, I really like it, and it's what I think we should we should go out to. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to thank you again for being here. It means a lot to me, as I always tell you. But please get involved. Find us on um, social media at Wax and Wayne on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. Search Wax and Wayne Music on Facebook. I I misspoke. I'm gonna go back. It's at Wax and Wayne Music on Instagram and Twitter at Wax and Wayne Music. Search Wax and Wayne Music on Facebook. Email us at waxedandwaned at gmail.com. Find us on the blog and website at waxandwanemusic.com. We're constantly putting up new features, new blog posts, new news articles. And if you follow us on Twitter, um, we are very likely to retweet stuff from other outlets. So that's another good way to find out stuff that's going on that we're not even necessarily directly reporting on. Um, and of course, you can find us and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. 
If you listen to this and you like it, we certainly would appreciate a subscription. It helps us to find new listeners. It helps us to know that you appreciate what you're doing. And what would be the biggest help would be for you to give us a review. Tell us that you like what we're doing or that you don't like what we're doing. But give us some good criticism, some good constructive feedback. And please, if you do like this, give us some praise. It will help us to find new listeners who like vinyl records and want to go on this nerdy, nerdy journey with us. I want to thank you again for being here with me. Um, I can't wait to share a whole bunch of new stuff with you in the future. Hang in there, and we'll see you next week on the flip side. Cheers. Nothing.